time for another frank conversation, and this time it's about something that has a lot of people talking. Abortion. Specifically, the Supreme Court's decision to recently overturn Roe v. Wade. It's been followed by protests, and you may have seen it. Social media feeds have been filled with commentary. That's where we found Monica Kelsey. She's been pushing hundreds of thousands of talks about an alternative. Did you just sit out and say, you know what, today I will conquer TikTok? Oh my gosh. So uh, TikTok is uh, a little, it's for younger people. Let me just say that. It's for younger people. And so my board of directors was like, hey, have you heard about this new TikTok? Um, I think you should put the baby box on TikTok. And I'm like, really? Like, what is TikTok all about? So I had to learn about it first. And then I'm like, okay, well, I'll just show how the box works and see what happens. This video got 26 million views. <laughs> I was like, what? Well, the concept, actually, I was in South Africa on a speaking tour and I happened to see a baby safe in the side of the wall of a church. And there's hundreds of churches in Cape Town, South Africa, and this church had one baby safe. So I happened to be at the only church there that had this. And so I couldn't get this out of my mind. I was like, what is this and what is it used for? And they said, well, women come here at night and they deposit their babies in here so that they don't throw them in dumpsters and trash cans. And I was like, oh my gosh, does this really work? And they had saved seven babies that year. And so I, on the flight back from Cape Town, South Africa on a Delta napkin, I hand drew my version of the baby box. I couldn't get it out of my mind. And so uh, I went to a builder in Fort Wayne, Indiana and said, hey, I want you to build me a baby box. He's like, a what? And I'm like, a baby box. I'm going to put them in fire stations and save some babies. And he's like, are you serious? Like, have you lost your mind? Like, this has never been done before. And I'm like, you know what? I'm going to do it. And so he said, well, for $700, I'll build you whatever you want. And so I wrote a check from my husband's account for 700 bucks and walked out of there like a boss. Well, she didn't stop there. Monica says dozens of baby boxes are scattered across the country at firehouses and hospitals. There's even a box in Ocala at the MLK First Responder Campus. Monica also has a personal connection to this cause. She served in the military. She was a firefighter, a medic, and she was abandoned. I'll explain that part in a moment. But first, here's how she started Safe Haven Baby Boxes in Indiana. My husband is the mayor of our city. Now, anytime you bring something to the United States, you have to get someone that's going to believe in your product and implement it. Uh, so let me just say that my husband was... Um, uh, very willing, uh, if he wanted to sleep with his wife at night, to allow me to put a baby box in his firehouse. And, uh, and so that became home of Safe Haven Baby Box number one in the nation. And, um, and now we have 111. <laughs> Those baby boxes go through rigorous testing before installation. Monica says she put up the first box back in April of 2016. By the way, here's the number for Safe Haven Baby Boxes, the hotline number. 1-866-99-BABY-1. So our hotline, which is the workhorse of our organization, uh, it's a 24-hour hotline for women to call if they want resources um, on the safe haven law or open an open adoption or parenting plan. And these are for women in the last trimester of pregnancy or have just given birth. The, uh, um, the hotline has taken over 8,000 calls from men and women and we've had 19 babies in our boxes, and we've helped 121 uh, women safely, legally, and lovingly surrender their children. 
how exactly does this work? One calls this hotline, they get a location for the nearest baby box to them, or can, can you walk me through that? Yeah, so if a, if a mother calls, just say from my, my hometown, where we do have a baby box, and this, let me just give you a scenario that has actually happened. And so a mother contacts us uh, through our hotline and, and wants to surrender through the Safe Haven uh, Baby Box program. First thing we're going to do is offer an open adoption plan so that she can get letters and pictures and stuff through um, the, an open adoption, which is, which is good, you know, so that the, the child can have some uh, uh, connection to the biological family. But if she won't do that, then we'll offer to have her walk into a firehouse, whether they have a baby box or, or not. We'll say, can you walk into this firehouse and hand your child to a person? If they still say no, then we'll give them the directions on how to use the baby box. But in this specific situation that I'm talking about, this mother actually decided to hand her child to a person at a baby box location. And so, um, so we always uh, advocate for the baby box being a last resort option um, at any firehouse or hospital. We would rather a parent walk in. But, um, but in this case, we actually, uh, um, I'm getting emails through my phone. But in this case, we actually uh, allowed this parent to hand us her child. We offered her medical care, uh, asked you know, if she needed anything, and, and she walked away and handed, handed us her child. And under the law, that's completely legal. In the state of Indiana, a mother has 30 days to safely, legally, and anonymously surrender her child, unharmed child, to any fire station, police station, or hospital, or baby box. Do you all ever ask why? You know, we, we don't ask the question why because some, some women will feel judged. What we, what we ask is a certain uh, template of questions to kind of get to the root of it. Um, but asking a woman, why are you doing this, would make her feel shamed. You know, like, like this is not a good idea. And what we want to do is we want to give women options because when you give women options, they will make the best choice for themselves, whether it's a safe haven surrender, an open adoption, or a parenting plan. And so allowing her to make a decision that she feels good about and us walking alongside her with no judgment is truly going to be, bring peace to her in the end. And, and she's going to save the life of her child. It's not, this child isn't going to end up in a dumpster or a trash can when she feels that she's got someone in her corner. And so the questions that we ask, it's never just why. It's just a series of questions that um, our psychologist actually has us um, answer or ask. Um, she runs our hotline. So, um, so it's very well, it's a well-oiled machine on our hotline because we have to be um, 100%, 100% of the time with these moms. I told you a moment ago that Monica was abandoned. My story's a little different because uh, I grew up not knowing. Um, my uh, parents, and, and when I say my parents, that's my adoptive parents. My, they are my parents. And so my parents, when they adopted me, were told that my birth parents were young and loving, and couldn't care for me, so they placed me for adoption. And that is the story that they were told to protect me growing up. And so I didn't know any of this and they didn't know any of this. And so when I reached out and um, came across my biological mother on accident, I was pretty shocked um, to learn that, you know, not only was I, you know, whisked into this world by violence, I was also ab abandoned as an infant and was one of the unwanted children that I had read about, you know, many years. So, um, so I didn't grow up knowing that. I just, I grew up thinking that I was loved. And I think for me, um, finding the truth um, 
gave me my identity, gave me my purpose. Um, I think that this, this purpose was carved out for me um, from, from day one and I just needed to find it. And now, you know, my life was saved so that today I may save others. Her perspective definitely shifted. It took a lot of digging into questions that had nagged her for years. And those answers lived with her birth mom. I was determined that I was going to find her. And I kept coming up against roadblock, against roadblock, against roadblock. And um, I knew the town that, that I was abandoned. Well, I didn't know I was abandoned at the time, but I knew the, the town where, um, where I was born. And so I actually stumbled upon the last name of the family. And um, out of the blue, I just called them and, and uh, uh, reconnected with them that way. So I didn't, I never had a piece of paper that said, hey, this is your biological mother. Hey, this is who she is. This is, you know, I never had that um, until I met her is when I got, you know, some of the documentation that, um, that she had had from years before. Monica, what was that connection, that moment like? Was it surreal? You know, I, I had dreamt about her um, my whole life. You know, I, I knew that I wanted to meet her and, and wrap my arms around her and tell her how much I loved her because I knew that she loved me. She gave me life. Um, and I was conceived prior to Roe v. Wade. So the law protected me. And, and, and I knew that she loved me. So um, getting to meet her, um, I, I often say, became the best and the worst day of my life because that's the day I got to meet this woman that I had fantasized over for so many years. But then that's also the day that I, I learned the truth um, about my conception and my abandonment. And so um, I'm glad that I met her. I'm glad that I got to know her um, because I, I, again, it brought purpose to me and to my identity. Um, but I wouldn't wish it on anyone that um, didn't have a strong faith because it, it really depleted my worth until I could pick it back up and know that, that my life was meant for purpose. And, and it's, sometimes it's hard to, to, to describe that. But if you don't have a relationship with Christ, I can see how you can get lost in the shuffle. You know, when you find this out, your worth goes down. You know, the worth that, that you felt you had before is questioned. Why am I here? What is my purpose? Why am I finding out at 37 years old that this is my history? And so you, you have a lot of questions, but when you have a relationship with Christ and you're, you're anchored, you can see the light. Um, and I'm thankful that my adoptive parents um, raised me in the church, raised me to love Christ um, and know my worth. It's all documented in Monica's book, Blessed to Have Been Abandoned the story of the baby box lady. She even writes about the one moment that has impacted her life most. In my book, um, I think it's chapter seven, and it's called The Storm Comes Home. And it's about me being on the ambulance one night and getting a call for a vehicle rollover party pins. And halfway to the scene, I find out that it's my son and his best friend, and one is dead and one is alive. Oh my gosh. And, and I want people to understand that the, the devil, anytime you're doing Christ's work, the devil will attack you. And so, you know, I, I put this chapter in my book because I wanted people to understand the severity of doing this work, that you are going to be a target. Not that, um, not that this wasn't 
you know, my son's fault because my son went to a high school graduation party where the homeowner bought booze and my son was legally drunk when um, he was doing donuts in a 19 acre field uh, at a high school graduation party where there were 50 underage kids drinking. And so, you know, the mayor's kid doing all this. And, and when I arrived as the first responder, my, uh, my son was doing chest compressions on his best friend. And so, you know, we, uh, we look at our life and we think, gosh, what, what good could possibly come out of this? I mean, our son went to prison. The, the mayor's son went to prison for underage drinking sure. and OWI causing death. What good could possibly come out of this? You know, and, and so we had to take this situation and we had to look at it um, deeper. And um, so we, we did a documentary talking about underage drinking and driving. And uh, it won a Telly Award, which I, I didn't even know what a Telly Award was. Um, but it doesn't talk about JJ in, um, in a good light. And our son, is, his name is JJ. It, it talks about him being the kid, the minor, that wants to impress all his friends. And he makes one of the worst decisions of his life. And, uh, and now he goes into schools and talks to kids about underage drinking and driving. And so we've taken this horrible situation and we've turned it into something that we can live with because we can never get Casey back. Casey died that night. I worked him for 18 minutes and then we called it at the scene. And that was actually the call that ended my career, not uh, administratively, um, but emotionally it ended my career. I, I, there's a reason why we don't work on people we love. And, um, and I knew that if I didn't save Casey that night, that my son was going to prison. Monica took a six month leave of absence after the call. She told me her son did serve time in prison and eventually she retired, but continued to serve folks. These 19 babies that were placed in our box, um, our boxes, I should say, it's not just one box, but I look at their lives and I think, where would they be today if I wasn't pushing and getting up every day and doing what I do? So here's where she stands on Roe versus Wade. I don't look at the Baby Box Foundation as being a pro-life or pro-choice issue. We, we don't take a stand, nor should we. Um, we have pro-lifers, we have pro-choicers on our page that support us because we don't take a stand, because these babies are alive. Right. These babies are born. And if we cannot agree that a child that is alive on a table does not deserve to be protected, then we are on two different, we're two different planets. And so, um, so we look at this as bringing two parties together for an option for women. And we all can agree that these babies, if they're going to go in a dumpster or my box, I think all of us would say a box is a better option. You know, a safe haven baby box is a better option. I want to give you that number again for the hotline. 1-866-99-BABY-1. Also, Florida's 15-week abortion ban is back in effect, at least for now. Less than an hour after a judge signed an order blocking the new law, the state filed an appeal. Now that means for now the law can be enforced. Last week the judge ruled it unconstitutional. The case will now go before another judge. You know we'll keep you updated. Meantime, you can catch these conversations bi-weekly. And until next time, have a good one.